0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Today, we continue a special series about the 737 MAX. This is part three, and we're going to discuss the Ethiopian uh, 302 crash. Although this is a general aviation podcast, we really feel this is an important topic which all aviators can learn from, both uh, beginners and also experienced pilots. Uh, Joining me today will be Ben Bowman and also Justin Ash.
2: But before we begin, a quick word from our sponsor. Take it away, Larry. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com.
1: Again, don't forget to visit our sponsor, AviationCareersPodcast.com. And uh, visit the, all the courses online by clicking on the courses tab. If you're looking into the scholarships guide, you might be able to get a free one by using the coupon code Pay It Forward. That's all one word. And uh, that actually is due to the fact that some generous people have offered to actually pay it forward so that you can get a free scholarships guide and, uh, and possibly get all of your training paid for or maybe even part of your rating. I really highly recommend going and checking that out at slash scholarships. Anyway, joining me today again is Ben Bowman and Justin Nash. Ben, hey, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me. And Justin, welcome back. Absolutely. It's good to be back. Well, this one's going to be a little bit shorter than the last two in the series. Again, we're talking about the 737 Max and the uh, MCAS system, and we're analyzing both the system and also some of the responses to uh, some erroneous uh, displays and, and some issues with that system. And we're going to talk, uh, we'd also, oh, by the way, we also would like you to go back and listen to number one and number two of the series because it might help you as far as some of the analysis here. So, again, just uh, quickly, we won't. To the analysis of the MCAS system on, in the series in part one, and then in part two, we look at uh, the Alliant Air crash, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the Ethiopian 302. So again, Ben, uh, we're going to kind of lean on you as far as the actual, uh, just the specifics of this crash compared to some of the other crashes and incidents in the past. So uh, Ethiopian 302, just a quick overview of what it is, and then we'll go deep dive into what happened.
3: So uh, Ethiopian 302 is another 737 MAX crash um, down in Ethiopia. Uh, And what's really interesting about this flight is that at this point, we knew what the MCAS system was. uh, And we had some guidance from Boeing on how to correct the issue. Uh, So if we have all that guidance and knowledge, why did we still have a crash due to it? So uh the
1: one of the things that uh, we actually can look at is what actually happened here as far as uh turning on the autopilot and those type of things. So let's take a look a little bit more deep dive into that one as far as uh, uh just kind of walk us through uh what happened from the point of takeoff.
3: So if if Lion Air 610 was uh kind of a, a study into the uh poor hand flying abilities, uh The Ethiopian 302 really is interesting because they tried not to, they tried to use the automation to help them. uh, And this ended up being a circumstance where uh, over-reliance on the automation and then sort of fixation on that uh, ended up leading into flight control issues uh, or hand flying issues. So, Ben,
1: um, let's go back and look at this uh, from the beginning of the flight and continuing as far as the autopilot. Again, the autopilot, uh, in this case, was engaged uh, during this flight. So, uh, they actually weren't really hand-flying it as much. Uh, so, since I don't know much about the actual, you know, the sequence of events, could you maybe walk through that? And Because uh, maybe what I'm saying is incorrect. So, just what, what exactly happened in sequence?
3: So, uh Basically, what happened is uh, once the the angle of attack indicators uh, failed on the takeoff roll, they started running into issues uh, with their airspeed. Uh, the airplane thought that it was much too slow to be flying uh, at the airspeed it should be, so they started getting the stick shaker. Uh, so basically, what they tried to do at this point uh, is uh, to to get that better perspective, turn on the autopilot. Uh, so they turn on the autopilot, they have some issues with it, uh, because of, uh, the aircraft being out of trim, but, uh, there's, there's still this underlying issue where the airplane thinks it's not flying fast enough. Now, while the airplane is flying on autopilot, it is trying to accelerate to this minimum safe airspeed, which is, uh, uh, over 300 knots uh, that it thought it should be, um, but of course it can't because the flaps are out, it's still climbing, etc. So after uh, 32 seconds, the autopilot disconnects because it's saying, hey, I give up. I can't get to the speed I need to, to, to be at in order to fly. So once the autopilot disconnects and now the flaps are coming up, now the MCAS system can come in. So, again,
1: that uh, MCAS, just to clarify, that doesn't come on until the flaps are up, correct?
3: Correct. So, uh, autopilot off, flaps up. Okay. Uh, Clean aircraft uh, with no automation going on. So, now the MCAS uh, starts to trim down. Uh, Now they're dealing with multiple issues. And they, luckily, do repeatedly counteract the MCAS using the the control wheel trim switches. By doing that, they are keeping the airplane relatively stable, but they're not addressing the issue of uh, why the airplane is, the stick shaker is going off and why it's trying to accelerate. So one of the problems with having the stick shaker going off and having all these other issues is you get really distracted and you get that tunnel vision that Justin was talking about in an earlier part. They left the throttles at essentially full power the entire flight because they just forgot. So while they're flying along, they realize, hey, this all started getting way worse once the flaps came up. Let's put the flaps back down. So they put the flaps down pretty close to uh, the maximum speed of the flaps. And remember, they were distracted, forgot that the throttles were still at full power. So they've asked for a block to they're trying to level off just to get the airplane under control. And they have the flaps out. That corrects the MCAS issue. Unfortunately, they also turn off the stabilizer trim electric trim which was boeing's
2: procedure so So now so be just to clarify so because they put the flaps back out that then deactivated the MCAS system because the flaps were back out correct so
3: they they deactivated the system but the airplane is still way out of trim Mm -hmm. yeah so they're deactivating the trim system. They're trying to fly the airplane, but the problem is that they're so far out of trim right now, uh, or actually to back up just a little bit, they realize, Oh my gosh, we're going too fast. And they pull the, uh, the flaps back up uh, way over their maximum speed, which does allow for the trim system to activate again. But again, they've uh, disconnected it. So, they're still in the clear from that perspective. So they're trying to uh, retrim the airplane, uh, get things under control. But because the aircraft is so out of trim, they physically don't have enough strength to operate the manual trim. Uh, Boeing did a bunch of studies on how much force it would have actually uh, required. And they determined that at the, the level of out of trim that they were, even with both of them working it would have been impossible for them to electric or i'm sorry manually get the trim back into a normal attitude so what do they do they turn on the electric trim to try to see if they can get the electric trim to work again and it works they're able to trim the trim works they trim down or trim up for a couple seconds but they forgot now that The electric trim is operating. The flaps are up. So now MCAS is operational again. So, uh, and just to give you an idea too, they were also very obsessed about an airspeed and altitude disagree, which is a common theme in here, because those are the only indications they have. Um, So they don't really trust their airspeed. So hand flying, flaps are up electric trim is operational mcas is operational they trim up for a few seconds but the mcas just goes right back to work and they say oh my gosh system still isn't working it's still horrible they turn the electric trim back off because they're scared to use it now uh or they're and i would be too you know we don't really understand the system um During those gaps uh, where they tried to uh, retrim the airplane, the airplane eventually started overspeeding. Um, you know, they were 360, 380 knots, which is well above the speed uh, of what the airplane uh, should be flying with at, in any configuration. But at the end of the day, they they weren't able to trim the airplane enough in order to get uh, back under control. Uh, Boeing determined that it would have taken over 40 rotations, hand rotations of the manual trim wheel to get back into a normal trim. Now, uh, wow. you know we've all talked about how we've sat in a 737 cockpit or watched a 737 video and you see that trim wheel move. One rotation is about a second, uh, maybe half a second. It's a lot slower when the flaps are up. And so you can imagine just how viscerally horrible it would feel as a pilot to hold nose trim electrically even for 40 seconds. Wow. I wouldn't be able to do it. Oh. Uh, So at the end uh, they weren't able to retrim the airplane. It was another situation where they handed the aircraft off to the first officer who didn't really have enough experience to know, hey, this is a real problem. Uh, and they ended up impacting at uh, about 500 knots, 40 degrees nose down, uh, at 33,000 feet per minute down.
1: Wow! Um, so the uh, you know it's interesting because every one of these incidences are are similar but very different, and especially with the reactions and uh, and what actually happened. Um, but 40 rotations of the trim wheel uh, that and to return to that hands-off control you've flown the airplane in your opinion, i mean how long would that have taken
3: uh, to do that i think it would take in the, almost a minute yeah
1: that's incredible um and going back to the co- uh, the first drift as we said with the aoa vein we kind of we didn't pass over it but the aoa vein did they determine what the issue was with the air uh, angle of attack indicator
3: they haven't finalized the the exact issue that happened with uh, the AOA vein. Um, that they, they did actually get a, a warning light about the AOA vein, but uh, it was not due to um, an issue with the the actual uh, disagree. You know, it wasn't saying, "Hey, your AOA vein is off." Uh, it was a different part of the system that was uh, basically the heating element that. Right. Uh, had failed because there was no metal to heat, and uh, but what they think happened is some sort of impact that ripped the AOA vein off the the part that actually sticks out. So all the mechanics uh, mechanisms inside were still functioning, but there was no air pressure to push on the vein because there was no vein. So it just started to drift. Essentially, it. it um, but they never found it, uh, as far as I know. And but they. They they don't really know why it broke off, but the common theory, I guess, would be it probably got uh, ripped off by a bird strike. Right,
1: and a bird strike shouldn't take down an airliner. Uh, no. And this is another uh, instance where the MCAS system uh, did not, even though it was intended, the system itself to help the pilots and control the aircraft, uh, it did not. And uh, and we're going to go into a little bit more analysis of what we can glean from this accident and others. Uh, but in general, what el- what could we say was uh, the differentiation between this crash and the the ones prior, the one prior to? This?
3: Well, I think you know, like I sort of alluded to at the beginning, uh, the big difference here is that they knew that the MCAS system existed. Boeing put out a procedure that says, "Hey, if if this happens, treat it like a trim runaway." But you know, we were talking about reaction time earlier. The the big issue here was reaction time and over reliance on automation. By the time that they sort of got to what they were supposed to do, which is turn off the electric trim and manually trim the airplane. It was already uncontrollable. Uh, The, they tried to give the autopilot the workload of flying the airplane, which it valiantly tried to do, but because they were on the captain's side autopilot, which had the failed indicator. It's trying to maintain this minimum airspeed, which was actually way over the maximum speed of the airplane, uh, over 0.82 Mach, which uh, you're not getting anywhere near that at even 7,000 feet, which uh, about it was about what they were. Um, had they switched it to the first officer side, which wasn't failed, uh, the autopilot would have been able to uh, hold the parameters. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, or I'd like to talk a little bit more about this uh, procedure on on unreliable airspeed. So which side do you go to, mm-hmm. et cetera? That's uh, more of a, a checklist and human factors issue. Uh, and so we can save that for a later date. But uh, it is just important to know that uh, they tried the automation and because they didn't really understand the system, they uh, certainly not with how it interacted with uh, the MCAS system uh, or an a- angle of attack system. Uh, that's what ended up uh, really causing them to uh, go down that rabbit hole.
1: So the unreliable Airspeed, I can't wait to talk more about that. Uh, it is something that, uh, has been the cause of some accidents in the past and is something that uh, we really need to look at as far as not just from an airline perspective, but from a GA perspective, all of us for, for flying in general. Uh, but this has been some really good, great analysis on this one incident here, or excuse me, this crash here, this accident. Uh, and one of the things I really want people to take away from is the fact that uh, we, what we're trying to do is walk through the process of what has happened and also what we can do in the future. Uh, to prevent this type of accident happening we do see in the news quite a bit the 737 max and uh, it's become quite a political issue what we're trying to do is some analysis just strictly here's the facts and this is the opinion as to uh, what we feel uh, or especially what Ben feels we could have done uh, in in the for a future and also in the past Uh, but in just these episodes we kind of just want to go over what's really happened I can't wait to series the third fourth excuse me the fourth part of the series where we talk a little bit more about those human factors so Ben um, before we close is there anything else you want to say just in summary of what we have here before we move on to the next
3: you know we'll we'll talk more in depth about in a later series but I think this is just a a, an interesting case study about engineering a problem that you already have rather than fixing something before it happens, uh and designing it properly in the first case. Uh so, you know, we tried to fix this situation, we tried to fix the issue, uh, while keeping everything humming along. Uh, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's uh necessary just to take a step back. Yeah, it sure is.
2: And Justin, uh before we close, any other comments? Um no, I mean I, I think it's it's always a great conversation. You know, it's good I enjoyed listening to Ben today talking about the Ethiopian crash because that was the one that kind of drove it into the media after that one, and we kind of saw everything. And it's important to remember, too, as we talk about this stuff, a lot of this stuff is opinions and research that that Ben has done and and we've talked about, and also know that everybody else, a lot of other uh, very intelligent people that deal with this, they, they are looking at this, too, and we have seen things come through the industry where they're trying to make changes. you know. And the big thing was the unreliable airspeed we talked about earlier. We're training that now. That is standard across the board in the 121 world here in the United States. And we have a very specific program for it. And we train unreliable airspeed very specifically in all phases of flights to try to help, even though maybe your airline doesn't fly 737s, you're still doing it. And with that to my fellow general aviation pilots this reiterates the importance of your partial panel training reiterates the importance of understanding the systems within your technologically advanced aircraft in knowing how those systems work and if something goes wrong how to mitigate the threats and make sure that you can solve the problems that are in front of you because at the end of the day Systems fail, and there's a lot of new stuff coming out out there, and it's being touted. And you see it: oh, this is great! You know, Piper has their new M600, blah blah blah. Um, make sure you understand how those systems work. Don't just take for granted that it's going to work perfectly every single time, and keep your training up.
1: One of the great parts about the series, both Justin and Ben, is the fact that we really do have a diverse audience that is listening, both from the GA perspective, like Justin uh, pointed out and highlighted, and also from the airline perspective. But I think we all can learn from this. And this is one of the reasons that that we are doing this is I think it's a view of us to help aviators become safer, uh, and that's why we're doing this And also, uh, obviously there's Some opinions that are, are placed in here We'd love to hear some of your comments uh, Obviously on some of the uh, different analysis That we're going to do in the future uh, But remember the most important thing is to Fly the airplane and, uh, and To learn the systems on your airplane And that's what we're going to talk about in some upcoming episodes Again, this is the third of a Five-part series on the 737 MAX I'm speaking with, uh, I got both Justin Ash, who's been on the podcast a few times uh, he's an airline simulator flight instructor and also ben bowman who has actually flown the 737 max a uh, major airline pilot and someone who has truly analyzed this uh, and, and read every uh piece that's part of this uh this crash and also the analysis on the 737 max well i can't wait till the next part of this series we'll talk to you next episode safe flying out there
0: you've been listening to the stuck mike abcast